anyone who knowingly helps people in the marijuana business do marijuana business runs the risk, however distant it may be at the moment, of being charged criminally, of having their assets forfeited. There are two federal laws that they are worried about violating. One is the federal money laundering statutes. The other is just the general aiding and abetting the execution of a federal crime. We know it's a fantastic law because it's short. People that vote on it will be able to read it. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites uh, and also a blog called Media Law. And this is Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio, an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. And in recent news, there's been bipartisan support for House Bill 2076, introduced by Representative Ed Perlmutter from Colorado's 7th Congressional District. This bill would effectively allow banking institutions to provide services to marijuana businesses if enacted. This has been a problem for marijuana businesses in states where marijuana has been legalized. Uh, We're going to talk about this issue today with three guests. First of all, uh, let me introduce Tom Downey. Tom is a director and attorney at the law firm of Ireland, Stapleton, Pryor, and Pasco in Denver, where he represents primarily liquor and marijuana businesses. Uh, until 2013, he, was Den- he led Denver's Department of Excise and Licenses, where he redrafted Denver's policies and procedures for liquor licensing and wrote the original policies and procedures for Denver's recreational marijuana licenses. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Tom Downey. Thrilled to be here. And Bob, next we have Professor Sam Kamen. He is the Vicente Cedarberg Professor of Marijuana Law and Policy at University of Denver's Sturm College of Law, where he teaches representing the marijuana law client. His areas of research include criminal procedure, death penalty jurisprudence, federal courts, and constitutional remedies. Welcome to the show, Professor Kamen. Thanks. It's good to be here. And our final guest today is Leonard Freeling. Uh, Leonard is the first ever chair of the Colorado Bar Association's Marijuana Law Committee, former executive director of Colorado Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Uh, And he is a criminal defense attorney with over 38 years of experience. Welcome, Mr. Freeling, to Lawyer to Lawyer. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Let us kick it off. uh, And Tom, let me direct this question to you. But why is banking... uh, a problem for marijuana businesses. So before we dive into the issues of H.R. 2076, it's important just to have a big picture perspective. Federal law trumps, and federal law is that marijuana is illegal. It is in conflict with state law, but what the federal government through the U.S. Attorney General's Office, through a series of memos, and more importantly through their actions over the last five years, has said that as long as folks are in compliance with their state marijuana laws, 
then the federal government is not going to enforce federal laws. And that is the reason why marijuana businesses in Colorado and other states have blossomed and grown, because they, when they do the risk assessment, we can make money off this, but we also know that we could be shut down by the federal government. Uh, when they make that assessment, they say it is worth moving forward. Um, when banks originally were making this assessment, they said, nope, that's not good enough for us, that uh, the federal government says they're not going to enforce federal marijuana laws. And then there was a special memo drafted by the attorney generals just about these uh, financial crimes and, uh, in essence, saying the same thing. Hey, you are allowed to do this. We're not going to enforce federal law. But banks said, no, 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 no. We need more than that. Um, and so that's the impetus for the banks today um, uh, wanting something more concrete. And that's the reason for 2076. Uh, and then the other thing is that um, it is already happening. There are banks that are providing financial services, and something we can talk about in a few minutes is um, alternatives that have evolved over the last five or six years. So, uh, Sam, came in, uh, maybe you could give us an introduction then of what is going on uh, on the federal level in terms of legislation to address this issue. Sure. There's been a bunch of legislation introduced probably over the, the course of the last nine months or so, um, both in the Senate and the House, to deal with various issues of uh, marijuana regulation at the federal level. And you know, I just want to echo what, what Tom said. As long as marijuana is illegal, as long as its possession and uh, production sale are federal crimes, we're going to have these sort of ancillary concerns, not just about uh, am I going to go to prison for the rest of my life, but even though that's a remote issue, can I bank, can I be employed, can I pay my taxes, all of those things. But uh, why is that when the, when the Justice Department is saying they're not going to prosecute, essentially? I mean, they, they've said it on both with regard to the banking specifically and with regard to the businesses more generally. I mean, why is there this, this fear? Well, I think it's – first of all, I think it's a very well-founded fear. Uh, we had the Coates case uh, in Colorado, which made national news, where uh, Brandon Coates, who's a quadriplegic and was using medical marijuana, was fired by Dish Network because they have a zero-tolerance policy, even for off-duty uh, drug consumption. Uh, and his firing was upheld by a unanimous Colorado Supreme Court. So I, I think it's not just alarmist, but people are right to be concerned about their federal benefits, their federal funding, uh, their uh, family rights, their employment. All of these are put in issue when uh, they're engaged in conduct that remains uh, a serious felony under, under federal law, even if it's not currently being enforced. And that's part of the reason that these enforcement memos from Washington, while they do bring uh, a certain amount of clarity, uh, can't solve the problem. Just to chime in on what, what Professor Kamen is saying, there's a, an easy analogy here, and that is if uh, the governor were to stand up and say, I am directing the head of the state troopers to not enforce the speed limit five miles over and less. And then if you were to ask me, hey, can I drive three miles over? The answer is no. It's illegal. You can't do that. You will be breaking the law. But then if you ask me, will I get caught? The answer is almost certainly not. And hey, what are the ramifications if I do? And it is, well, you'll get points on your license and, uh, you know, have to pay a fine. But as Sam is saying, for the banks, the ramifications are much bigger. If they lose their ability to bank, if they are shut down, it, is, it has not been worth it for them to step into this uh, because the implications are so big, despite the assurances that, hey, we're not going to enforce. What's the constitutional structure here? What happens when there are federal laws and state laws that conflict 
or state laws that address areas that federal laws don't address? Sure. I mean, the, you know, the, the shortest answer is the supremacy clause, that where there's a conflict between state and federal law, the federal law is supreme. But I think that's an oversimplification here. What is clear is that the federal government retains the power to prosecute anyone in violation of federal law wherever they may be. So if someone is uh, violating the, the Federal Controlled Substances Act, even if they're doing it in Colorado where it's legal for adults, in California where it's legal in the medical system, they can nonetheless be prosecuted. The more complicated issue is are uh, Colorado's and Washington's and these other states uh, regulations preempted by federal law. We haven't seen a federal court take that issue on, but that's sort of one of the, the big background concerns uh, for lots of people in this area. As far as this, Lenny jumping in, as far as the supremacy clause, what uh, the Holder and Cole series of memos are based upon is Hole and Calder for the Federal Attorney General's office saying, if you do the following, we will not assert the supremacy clause. In other words, we won't take you to court to see who really has the power. On the banking, I think it is an unfair oversimplification to say, quote, not going to prosecute the statements leading up to this. What they said was, we won't prosecute if you properly fill out a specific suspicious activity report form. That had two levels of reporting. One, yeah, we took the 10000 in cash. It looked okay. The other, it boils down to, we are so familiar with their business, how much business they should be doing that when they brought in a million in cash to deposit, in our wild guesses, it shouldn't have been over 300,000, then they had a higher level of reporting requirement and reporting duty. And that's what the bank said. We can't do that. We don't know that. We're not taking on that responsibility. And that's where the new legislation potentially does provide the the clarification and the support to not give the banks an insurmountable level of compliance of responsibility for compliance so what so this, are dispensaries doing that that are in colorado and washington and other states where it's legal to sell pot what are they doing to, to handle their banking are they setting up a private set of bank networks well they tried to set up a, a private bank the fourth corner credit union uh, which tried to get in the Federal Reserve System, was denied by the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City and filed suit, um, was an attempt by banks to sort of you know, resort to some uh, self-help, proved ineffective. In terms of what individual businesses are doing, I think it varies. Some uh, have found a way to bank, either with a wink and a nod or a personal relationship with a banker. Um, some are banking, uh, commingling funds with their personal funds and you know, all the risks associated with that and banking personally. Uh, and, and many, I think, uh, go without and all the, the negative ramifications and consequences that go with uh, being a cash-only business. So Representative Perlmutter from Colorado has filed this Marijuana Business Access to Banking Act, uh, House Bill 2076. Sam came and walk us through what that would do. Sure. Basically, what it says is that a federal regulator shall not create negative consequences for a bank simply, or I think the word it uses is solely, because that bank banks marijuana businesses. And uh, it also says that banks should not be uh, officially discouraged from taking on marijuana businesses as clients solely because those clients are in the, the business of marijuana. Um, so it's a uh, sort of, it, it describes itself, I think, as a safe harbor saying if 
you are doing business only with properly regulated uh, compliant companies, that cannot be the basis for any negative consequence. And is that enough to alleviate the concerns the banks have? I mean, if the Justice Department memo wasn't enough, if there are still concerns there, does does this do it for the banks? Does this make them comfortable with banking with uh, the marijuana industry in, in, in the states where it's as long as they're doing it in compliance with the state uh, law? Well, I, you know, I guess that's the, the million-dollar question. It does grant immunity from uh, criminal prosecution under certain circumstances, uh, and that will certainly uh, be, be welcome news to, to bankers. You know, I, I think that continued illegality is a tough thing to get around, uh, that there will be banks and there will be business people who probably will continue to say, look, I know they're promising promising not to prosecute, but um, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We're unhappy taking large amounts of cash from people that we know are violating federal law. Even if we've been promised no negative consequences, you know, it, this is still not as good as uh, a rescheduling or descheduling of marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. And we also so, have to remember that there are two federal laws that they are worried about violating. One is the federal money laundering statutes. The other is just the general aiding and abetting the execution of a federal crime. And um, that is one where everyone involved in this in Colorado and the other legal states is engaged in this aiding and abetting. It's, it's everyone who is a landlord, everyone who's directly involved in the business, creditors, suppliers. Uh, you know, our joke here is that Home Depot aids and abets every single day when they provide uh, fertilizer and extension cords. The power company knowingly provides power and therefore is aiding and abetting when they uh, provide electricity to these cultivation centers and to the stores. But the enforcement is just not there. There's, uh, as we discussed before, the enforcement line is drawn um, uh, at the federal level only if there's a violation of state law right now. Well, but what you're describing is a problem that goes way beyond just banking. I realize this, this bill just targets banking, but d does there need to be some broader legislation on the federal level to address this? I mean, is there something short of somehow uh, removing uh, marijuana from the list of controlled, controlled substances on the federal level? Is there something else that the federal government should be doing to allow this industry to operate without these kinds of fears? And as an adjunct to that question, see if we can discuss why this isn't all being handled at once. Wow. Okay. Uh, the big, big questions. Let me let me start jump in, and I'm sure others have have a lot to say. I think there are some very big issues that everyone wants to address first. Banking is one, and largely because it's a public safety and regulatory concern. Banking is an issue where the interests of the regulator and the regulated overlap perfectly. It is both in the interest of marijuana businesses and in the interest of, in the state of Colorado, the Department of Revenue, which is tasked with regulating marijuana. It's in both of their interests that this not be a cash-only business. Cash-only businesses are much harder to regulate, much harder to, to sort of track and trace. And uh, from the point of view of the business, they don't want to be uh, set up as a victim, that if they're uh, dealing with large amounts of cash, if everyone knows that, uh, that's sort of the perfect prescription for, uh, for violence. So, you know, it's one that from the beginning, regulators in Colorado up to the, the level of the governor have said, this is something we need, both the regulatory and the regulated. So that's why, that's why the attention to banking. Um, other big issues that we are seeing bills being introduced uh, regarding, 
280E, the, the tax provision, is another big one that um, right now marijuana businesses are obligated to pay income tax and can't take most deductions that are available to other businesses. That's one. And the other uh, is both medical use and research that there's a lot of interest in making low THC, high CBD strains available to, to people, particularly children who need them, and in funding or permitting uh, medical research into marijuana. And this is Tom. Professor Kanan is right that there are so many issues. Banking is obviously a big one. Um, but it, when we talk about legalization or addressing the issue, uh, it impacts so broad a swath that um, it takes up so many categories. So, for example, uh, not just on the tax issues that, that Sam was talking about, but uh, donations. Can a nonprofit in Colorado accept a donation from a marijuana business? What are the implications to their 501c3 status? Uh, water. Um, significant portions in the, in the West get their water from the Bureau of Land Management under the U.S. Department of the Interior. They cannot, under current federal law, provide that water to marijuana businesses. And so there are local water districts that are taking the federal water, laundering it, and then selling it to marijuana businesses. Employment law, Sam gave the example of uh, the Dish Network case. It, this has so many implications all around. Uh, banking, though, is the big one right now. Hey, we have to take a short break. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back in just a few more moments to continue our discussion of the legal uh, constrictions on operating marijuana businesses. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No. With most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And even if you have an existing legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Before we broke off, we were talking about the wide swath of businesses that this affects. But what about individual employees within these businesses? Do individuals have liability to the federal government or for criminal or civil situations? Uh, this is Sam. I mean, I think that at least theoretically they do. Anyone, uh, and I think Tom was talking about this, anyone who knowingly helps people in the marijuana business do marijuana business runs the risk, however uh, distant it may be at the moment, of uh, being charged criminally, of having their assets forfeited. And you know that, that extends, as he mentioned, to construction, insurance, banking, uh, businesses and their employees. So it, you know, a an imaginative federal prosecutor could have a very uh, wide range in this regard. I saw this is not related to HB 2076. It, there was a last week the Senate Appropriations Committee voted in support of an amendment to the Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Bill that would also uh, open up uh, banking services to marijuana businesses. I'm, I'm presuming that's separate from the legislation we've been talking about. But I, I noticed that the vote there was 16 to 14. 
I know the the bill twenty seventy six is is a bipartisan uh, bill, but who's against this? I mean, I, I'm taking it that all of you on this show, it, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're all in favor of of some legislation here. What, what's the argument against it? My take on it is, first of all, we know it's a fantastic law because it's short. People that vote on it will be able to read it. <laughs> It I'm is a fan of <laughs> Second, it solves most of the problems. It won't get better. It will get worse the more it's messed with. Is it a permanent solution? It's very easy to tell if it is working. If banks start taking cash, it works. If banks don't start taking cash as a result, it's broken and needs fixing. In the meantime, let's get it passed and Banks make money because there's money in the bank. They invest it, and banks have one interest, and it's not morality, it's not politics. It's making money. They will take deposits from the manufacturers of Agent Orange. They'll take money from the creators of the largest oil spills in industry. It's simply not a moral judgment. It's put money in the bank so we can make money for us and for our investors and everyone else connected in the chain. They want the money. They're powerful. They will make sure, whether it's HB 2076 or a fix of that, I have absolutely no question in my mind that not only will the banks make certain that the cash gets to go into the banks, all of the credit card companies have a stake. They want their 1.86% of every transaction rather than a system that bypasses them. So we have these hugely wealthy, powerful interests all wanting to take the money. We're capital. Most of us are capitalists. We're not communists, mostly. We want them to take the money. These people, my friends, my compatriots, want to pay taxes at a fair rate. They don't want to lose all below the line deductions. They want to be part of the system. The system wants them to be part of the system. This one or two page attempt, I can find some things in it as a lawyer that I'd say, oh, I could protect people better if we change this, if we change this, if we included this. Frankly, let's get this thing passed. It is in my reading, and uh, Professor might flunk me on a test for this, but my reading is not bad. This is almost unfair, but compared to the Patriot Act, which is so long, I will gamble money that not a single person that voted for it read it. Yeah, well, in fact, it's shorter than the uh, Department of Justice policy uh, memorandum that they put out on this on the same issue. So I guess that says something. <laughs> so is the opposition then, then moral based? And I realize none of you probably want to speak for the opposition, but are the arguments against it simply that this is going to uh, encourage... Uh, greater criminality or uh, on other levels or, or that it will you know, spread into states where marijuana hasn't been legalized and, all, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, this is Tom. I think you're right that it is not substantive, any objections. It is political, not necessarily moral, but political. And it is that someone who is running for reelection in Congress, they don't want to be seen as supporting marijuana if that isn't uh, appropriate for their district. And that this would seem uh, to to aid and abet the general movement of uh, marijuana legalization across the country. 
I think the bigger questions are, number one, if it does pass, does it take care of everything? And then number two, if it doesn't pass, what's the situation moving forward? Let's take a quick look at this historically. How was banking handled during the prohibition from businesses that uh, manufactured and sold liquor? Was it treated exactly the same way where you were not allowed to bank that money? My guess is it was money laundering or cash. Look at the cocaine business in Miami when cocaine built the city. Wheelbarrows straight out of Scarface. And the banks were, again, happy to have money in the bank so they could make money on it. But I expect it was a combination of the money laundering. And for clarity, I do not speak for the Colorado Bar Association. I speak for myself. I am the chair of our brand new first in the nation with Michigan now number two cannabis law committee of state bar association, but I don't speak for them today. I got scolded once for not being clear about that. And I don't like being scolded. (laughs) Neither do banks. They just want to take the money. I think it's also important to understand uh, where things are today, which is very different from five years ago when this started, and therefore what would happen if this bill doesn't pass. Uh, in the beginning, there were uh, everyone had bank accounts. Then, end of 2011, beginning of 2012, all of the banks were advised you cannot provide financial services because you are money laundering for drug dealers in the eyes of the federal government, and so they all pulled their accounts. But then, Over the course of the last five years, as the federal memos came out and, again, most importantly, the actions or inactions uh, on the enforcement side by the federal government, folks have become more and more comfortable. So where we are today is that, number one, there are some banks that are doing it, but their clients are not, hey, pot shop or acne marijuana. They have uh, other titles, and so there's yet less of a red flag. That's number one. Number two, there are some marijuana businesses where it is part of their plan that they are going to have to get a new bank account every three months because they're going to figure it out and they're going to get canceled. Uh, then number three, there are some banks that are simply doing this. There are banks in Colorado, we don't broadcast them, that are uh, accepting these um, uh, customers and they are moving forward. There are also, number four, some that are still all cash. There are others where they have staffing uh, companies or management companies where they can have different accounts. Then there are others where they have runners. They have all cash and they will send guys all around to Denver to 7-Elevens and get $5,000 pre paid credit cards that then they use for purchases. Uh, And then my favorite is there are folks who will, um, on Craigslist, buy a used ATM, uh, watch YouTube videos on how to set it up and um, get it integrated. Then I will create Tom's Financial Services LLC, and my business is owning ATMs and putting them in lobbies of retail operations. And then I'll go to any bank and say, hey, I need a bank account, and I'm an ATM company, and so they'll give me a bank account, and then I will lease, I will put my ATM into my separate corporate uh, marijuana store in the lobby, and then that's where people take money out, and we put money back in, and so that bank unknowingly is laundering that money. 
So there are a whole bunch of systems that folks uh, have in place. Um, they do all of one or a combination um, of others, and more and more folks are getting comfortable with the non-enforcement of the federal government as long as the businesses are in compliance with state law. And so that's where that will continue to progress, even if this doesn't pass. Sorry to say that we've run out of time. We're about near the end of our program, and we'd like to uh, invite each of our guests to uh, share their final thoughts and also to let our listeners know how they can follow up with them. Uh, And so, uh, Tom Downey, let me begin with you. Thank you so much for having this. It's an important subject. Uh, My final thought is very simple, and that is that for all of us lawyers involved in this, it changes so quickly. So you're going to have to have another one of these sessions uh, in just a few months because it moves so quickly. The easiest way to get in touch with us is uh, at our website, irelandstapleton.com. Thank you very much. Sam Kamen, how about you? I like Tom's point. You you listen to us today, listen to us again in, in a couple of weeks when everything is uh, new and different. I can be reached uh, via Twitter. I'm on Twitter at, at Prof Sam Kamen, K-A-M-I-N. Uh, I'm at the University of Denver and pretty easy to find that way. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, it, it's a, a very exciting time. It's rare that, that law professors and lawyers get to be at the start of something. And we're definitely at the start of something here. Uh, and Leonard Freeling, uh, you get the final word today. I love that. It's always the district attorney that gets the final word. It's <laughs> frustrating. We went from it's so quickly, let's do a show in a few months, to the professor saying a few weeks. I think we need to do another show this afternoon. It changes <laughs> not, that Not quickly. happening. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> I can be found at lfreeling, L-F-R-I-E-L-I-N-G dot com. And personally, the most exciting thing we are working on is at mycanaryapp.com. The app is My Canary. iTunes, not Android so far. And what we do is for the driving problem, for the table saw question, we have a performance measuring app that looks at things like reaction time, compares it to your personally preset sober performance, and gives you some actual input on how your balance looks so that people can have a tool to help them be more responsible. Over 10,000 downloads of people that are choosing to be responsible. We're excited. Thanks, Thanks for Great. having Gentlemen, me. thank you very much. That brings us to the end of our show. This is Craig Williams with Bob Ambrosi. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.